Welcome to On Air with Clean Air Council. I'm your host, Katie Edwards. For those of you who aren't familiar with us, Clean Air Council is a member-supported, nonprofit environmental organization dedicated to protecting everyone's right to a healthy environment. The council is headquartered in Philadelphia and works through public education, community advocacy, and government oversight to ensure enforcement of environmental laws. Today I have with me Lois Bauer Bjornsson, advocacy coordinator with Clean Air Council, who has taken the helm of a new campaign we're going to be talking about, the Protective Buffers PA campaign. Thank you, Katie. So my name is Lois Bauer Bjornsson, and I live in the most heavily fracked county in our state, Washington County. I help work on issues in municipalities, boroughs, and townships regarding better zoning for oil and gas, or zoning just in general, because a lot of townships don't have it. And I also host Frackland Tours, and we host these tours to give people a firsthand account of what it is like to live and grow up in the shale fields. And We've had everyone out from legislators to media to international media to students and doctors. That's great, Lois. How long have you been working to fight frack gas infrastructure in Pennsylvania? Well, uh, I think I've been working on it for about, you know, 15 years, but technically um, employed to do it five. And I've been with the council for two years now. Can you tell us a little bit about how you found yourself in this role? So I came to do this work by happenstance and out of need. I grew up in the area, I moved away from the area, I moved back to the area to raise, you know, at the time two small boys and now three boys and a daughter and to be closer to family so they could be raised with their grandparents. And it really came out of necessity and need. You know, when you just sort of looked out your your door one day and thought, is that a tree on fire? And you know, it wasn't, it was someone flaring or, you know, I was up at all hours with children, whether they had to go to work, the older ones, or, you know, school. And you'd see things like hoses dropped into like a fire hydrant at 6 a.m. I think, why, why is that going on? And, you know, my dad would say, look, there, there's like, it looked like the trees are on fire and there was all this smoke. And then there were trucks lining up on the riverbank dropping hoses, you know, and then you'd get together with your neighbors and say, was the ridge on fire? And they were like, no, that was a holding pond that burned off for two months you know, that was a mile away and you could see flames like, I don't even know how high. And and so these were things that really just, you kind of went, what the blankety blank is going on here? And people would go to a local restaurant and there was a well pad right by it and they'd have to sort of get away from like the flaring. So, you know, we just really wanted to know what was going on in our communities. And that's really how I came about doing this work. And I met um, a gentleman in another organization that I did some environmental work on regarding high tension power lines being traipsed across southwestern Pennsylvania. And we just started to talk about what we were seeing. And he said, do you want to talk to some people? And I said, sure. When? And he said, does tonight work? And I said, yeah. And it happened to be Matt Walker with Clean Air Council and Nadia Steinzor, who was formerly with Earthworks. And I told him just what I was seeing and entire communities were seeing. And they asked me um, if I wanted to testify at the EPA and I said, sure, when? And they said, tomorrow. And I said, I have to get a sitter because my daughter was only a baby at the time. And, you know, kind of like that old cliche, the rest is history. And then here I am. So there's a new council campaign that I want to talk about today called the Protective Buffers PA campaign. Can you tell us a little bit more about that campaign? Sure. So what protective buffers involve is 
As we all know, or, or some of us may not know, um, but those of us that live around oil and gas or in any type of extractive industry, the further you get away from it, the better that you are. So what the Protective Buffers campaign is about is actually keeping people and communities and communities safe to allow further setback distance than our state required 500 foot because that's really not far enough and it's not protective enough for communities or children or families. So that's sort of a, a quick snippet of what the protective buffer zone campaign is. It's to keep people safer and further away from oil and gas infrastructure and facilities. What are some of these facilities that you're talking about? What types of frack gas infrastructure are being built in PA communities, including your community? So currently we have 8,000 wells in the state of Pennsylvania. I live in Washington County, which is the most heavily frack county of our state. There are, uh, is a compressor station a mile down the road, another compressor station half a mile down the road. Um, but what people need to understand is the connection of the frack gas to the petrochemical hub that is an hour from our home where actually all of my children go to school. A byproduct of the frack gas is ethane and you need ethane to make plastics. In addition to the 8,000 wells that we have here, in order to feed the petrochemical hub, we will need 1,000 more wells per year to supply the ethane to the petrochemical hub for the fracked gas to make plastics. And that single-use plastics that people are using all the time, this really drives home the point that we are fracking for the single-use plastics. Yes, it does. We're fracking for plastics. This is virgin plastic. This is not recycled plastic or anything of that sort. This is literally we're fracking for plastics. This isn't about, you know, energy freedom or energy independence at all. This is fracking for plastics. Other infrastructure that I'm talking about also are compressor stations because the gas has to all go to be compressed before it is sent out to places like Marcus Hook in Philadelphia, pipelines that, you know, completely encompass us. So this is all around my home, all around my neighbor's homes. Um, at last count, there were something like 33 well pads within, you know, a one to three mile radius. And actually the closest well pads to us, I can see out of our bedroom window, my son's bedroom window, my daughter's bedroom window, and off of our front porch. So, you know, we're completely encompassed by this. And those are just some of the examples, not to mention, you know, also all the other things that come along with fracking from the building of the well pads to the deconstructing, uh, to the processing, and, and so on and so forth. Lois, you've mentioned well pads. What exactly is a well pad and how does it relate to fracking? So a well pad, normally what they do is they build well pads up and they do this actually so the methane and things can escape into the air. And, and frankly, it's really because so no one can see what's happening. I always describe it as like a piece of paper and it's flat on the top. And then if you had a bunch of like holes that you just put on the paper, those are the boreholes. And so sometimes like the smaller pads were initially eight to 10 boreholes. Now they're like 17 to 24 and the largest super well pad or mega super well pad is going to have 43 boreholes on it. So each one of those boreholes has to be punched so that the gas can come up and be released. And remember, everything is trucked in. Everything that you see on a well pad is trucked in from the dirt to build the mountain, because sometimes there's no mountains and they build them, to the concrete, to the gravel, to the little trailers as their offices, to the above ground impoundment, 
that holds 3 million gallons of either fracking waste, the condensate tax. This is all trucked in, all trucked in. And so this is what you have on a well pad. Then when they start the actual boring or drilling, it now goes down 8,000 feet and four miles out. So this is really big. And so there's a big, what locals call a Christmas tree, which is like a nice name for a drilling rig because it's all lit up and it's real tall. And then it's just thump, 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 thump to get down the 8,000 feet and go out the 4,000 laterals. And But remember, they say things like, oh, we're just going to be here a few months and it's okay. To bore every one of those holes takes eight months at minimum. And then remember, every time those boreholes are being fracked, all this traffic comes back in to bring all that equipment in. And then even when a well is either in completion or production, there is still traffic on those pads. If you're learning from our podcast and like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of Clean Air Council. Membership information can be found online at cleanair.org backslash donate. That's cleanair.org backslash donate. what you said about the well pad that you can see right outside your bedroom. How close is too close for fracked gas infrastructure in communities? Well, ideally, anywhere is too close. Um, the further you can get away from this, the better off that you are. And that tends to be the problem in you know southwestern Pennsylvania is you're not just close to one well pad or two well pads, you know, we're close to 33 well pads. And we can we can see multiple well pads from different windows and views from our home during the fracking process. The, ideally, we would love to be 2.5 miles away from everybody and everything and have any type of in, infrastructure away. So that limits high risk exposure. People that live near oil and gas have a much higher risk to being exposed to bad air quality, explosions, much worse health impacts, asthma, upper respiratory diseases, pregnant women that live close to natural gas facilities have low birth outcomes. So these are just some of the things that happen. But being that we are so concentrated with well pads and compressor stations and pipelines and infrastructure and the build out and the truck traffic even, you know, we are completely encompassed by this. We are constantly exposed to this. We have no way of really getting away from it whether it's in our homes or our schools. The fracking is happening and the fracked gas infrastructure is happening in close proximity to schools, in close proximity to places of worship, in close proximity to retirement centers and people's homes. And we need to have these setbacks. And that's what the Protective Buffers campaign is about, right? Yes, it is. It's very important. The further that you can get away from any type of oil and gas infrastructure, the better off you are. You have a much better chance of not having as severe health impacts. It's just a much better situation. The further that you can get away from this, the better. There are 1.4 million Pennsylvanians like you living in close proximity to frack gas infrastructure. We've talked a little bit about some of the, the dangers and the hazards. Can you go more into what the dangers associated with these facilities are? Well, as we know, 
Our air is something that doesn't live in a bubble. So the closer that you live in proximity to an oil gas facility, the more exposure you have to such carcinogenics like benzene, toluene, ethylbenzene, formaldehyde. Myself and my children were part of a pilot study um, with Environmental Health News and award-winning reporter Christina Marusic. Actually, we were personal air monitors and our urine was tested. And some of the things that were actually in our air were very frightening to me. Some of them were chemicals I couldn't even pronounce. And they were all carcinogenic, which are cancer-causing chemicals. Um, and so just some of the things, my son Gunner, my third son, has the highest level of mandelic acid in his body. And this is from air exposure. Um, we have some of the highest levels of naphthalene in my body, which is a chemical that is used only in an industrial process. So those are just some of the things, but I recommend that you look this study up. It's called Fractured the Body and Burden of Proof with Environmental Health News reporter Christina Marusic. And you can see and actually chart the levels of what is in our bodies and what we breathed in. And there's not too much that's in the green. Most of it's orange and red. So when you're breathing these in on a daily basis, you have a lot of concerns for yourself, your family, and your health. And, and frankly, what's going to happen within our future? When, when will the cancers come? I know you mentioned cancer, but what are some of the other dangers to health? Is it just lung and respiratory based or is it system wide in the body? Well, it can be a number of things. It is lung and respiratory. It also, are there, there are skin issues. There's all types of, there was a recent study that came out, I think it was the, with the American Lung Association that stated um, even the amount of mental illness that comes from having such high levels of toxic pollution and air pollution that we breathe in. So there's a lot of terrible things that can happen from bad air and living close to oil and gas facilities. So we've talked about dangers to health. What are some of the dangers to our environment from fracked gas infrastructure? Well, there's a, a, a lot of terrible things that go on with our environment with fracked gas infrastructure. Everything from having carcinogenic chemicals in our air, having carcinogenic chemicals in our water, land disturbances, diesel fumes, you know, cutting 100-foot swaths of trees to clear for a pipeline is not really productive. Um, these are all things that even people living around this almost experience sort of a post-traumatic stress disorder because you know people aren't sleeping, but they're not realizing why they're not sleeping. And, and what's keeping them awake are possibly the 24-hour truck traffic that's driving by when a well is being built, um, it can also be things like the jaybreaks from the trucks seeding past your house that you never have when you live out in a country road. But you're not, you know, you're not correlating this with why you're not sleeping and you're not realizing this. Um, it also comes from the well pads when they're being drilled. And it's a constant, it's almost like tinnitus in your ears that you just keep hearing this thump, 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 24 hours a day. You know, you, you're not understanding what's going on and why you, you're not, your body is not allowed to rest. And then on top of it, you know, you have sometimes distensions between families, you know, for people that think it's okay to have this near you and those that think it isn't or, 
you know, maybe parents thinking that I don't want my children outside with bad air quality days and the other parent thinking it's okay. So it can create a lot of strife just emotionally within you. And also what happens is you sort of live in a flight and fight mentality, because especially if you're trying to protect your children in communities that, you know, perhaps think there's nothing wrong with oil and gas or living near it. So you have a lot of tension and a lot of stress in your life. And sometimes you don't realize it until you don't feel real well. So Lois, just to change gears slightly, it is so important for us to talk about the fracked gas infrastructure and the pollution that is coming from the industry and the stress and the health impacts that it has on people. But I want to talk a little bit about the climate impacts from fracked gas infrastructure. There's methane leaks, there's truck traffic, there's drilling. How is all of this contributing to the climate crisis? Well, there's a lot, uh, but one of the most important things that comes from oil and gas are the methane leaks that you mentioned. And so, as we know, methane is 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide. It's a greenhouse gas on steroids. So that just warms our planet more. As more and more well pads come into production and more and more pipelines and more and more compressor stations, this is just like a constant warming of our planet. There's no rest or relief there so that things really can't recalibrate and come back. And the continuing use of fossil fuels will just exasperate climate change. Three of my four children have had Lyme's disease. And this is directly due to climate change, which is due to methane that heats up our climate. I think it's important for us to talk about the fact that Pennsylvania is already experiencing climate change. We're seeing more diseases like Lyme disease. We're seeing extreme weather. We're seeing droughts. We're seeing flooding. Just this past year, the entire Schuylkill Expressway flooded. So we are seeing the extreme impacts of the climate crisis already. Well, one of the things speaking on climate is... And I just learned this, that the entire bat population of Pennsylvania, 98% of the brown bats that help with bugs and insects and all kinds of things are dying due to a parasite that they are getting directly due to climate change. And that's pretty terrible. And people think, oh, it's just bats. It's not a big deal, right? No. No, bats are part of our ecosystem. (laughs) It, It really is. That's going to cause an increase of food prices because you know, farmers are going to have to use more pesticide because the bats aren't around anymore. And so this is just a snowball effect that happens directly due to climate change. again and talk a little bit how we as Pennsylvanians can help fix this problem. What kind of protections are you proposing in the Protective Buffers campaign to protect people against fracked gas infrastructure? Well, it means exactly that, that we are not allowing infrastructure to be built close to people anymore, that we are keeping that at bay. Our state says that it's 500 yards from a well pad. Super well pads are 40 acres. 
So if someone lives 500 yards from a 40-acre well pad, 40 acres, what is that, like four football fields or something crazy? But my point is, is that, so they're stepping out of their door into a well pad. How is that safe for anybody? Let alone some of the schools that have leased properties. Who wants a well pad beside their child's school? Ideally, for me, it would be 2,500 feet or two miles away. That's the best thing that you can do is you're keeping it away from people, from communities, from hospitals, from churches, from schools, so that everyone's healthier. And then also that the existing well pads that they come back to refrack after the initial fracking has taken place does not happen either. So there's no point to keep punching holes into the ground, but companies do that because it's easier than coming back and expanding on an already small well pad to make it a super well pad or a mega super well pad. It's simpler to punch another hole in the ground or build another pad. So these protective buffers of two miles away or 2,500 feet, how are they being considered on the local level? What kind of action are lawmakers taking on the local level and then on the state level? Unfortunately, very few lawmakers agree with this. But part of that reason is because there are already well pads put in place. It's kind of like we're behind the eight ball. I've worked recently in a couple communities where we instituted a thousand foot setback. And that doesn't sound like a lot, right? But it is when you've only had 500 feet or nothing. That's not ideal. But what it has done in a few of these communities is it has kept industry from coming back in and doing any more drilling because they can't pile well pads on top of each other again. So that's helpful. That's a really great point. And I I can see that as being extremely effective. Are there any laws being considered right now on the state level? Is there any action from the Pennsylvania House or Senate on this issue? Well, there's a couple laws. One is with Rep. in Amarato and Senator Katie Muth and Representative Daniel Frio-Otten, who is helping with the setback campaign and hopefully to get that on the books. But the problem of it is, as we know, when you have someone like Daryl Metcalf in charge of our environmental, you know, council and, and everyone, it's not really going to move anywhere. So it's a constant drumbeat of trying to get this through so that this is protective for more people. So how can someone who doesn't necessarily live in a community with fracking but cares very much about the issue support this protective buffers campaign? So you can go to the Clean Air Council website and you can search the Protective Buffers campaign and you can comment on it. And you can also reach out to your legislator, whoever it may be, and say that you're in support of the Protective Buffers campaign. And in addition to the Clean Air Council website, there's also protectivebufferspa.org where people can inform themselves and take action. Lois for this educational conversation on the Protective Buffers Campaign, Community Organizing, Public Health, and Frack Gas Infrastructure in PA. We really appreciated hearing your first-person account on what it's like to live near frack gas infrastructure and what people can be doing to protect themselves. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a privilege. To learn more about this work, 
please visit cleanair.org or the Protective Buffers Campaign, protectivebufferspa.org. That's protectedbufferspa.org. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to On Air with Clean Air Council. To support our work, please consider becoming a member at cleanair.org backslash donate. That's cleanair.org backslash donate. You can also follow us on social media at Clean Air Council on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thank you.